Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 86 of the Book Cougars, Two Middle Aged Women on the Hunt for a Good Read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. And, and we're. We're talking over each other. We're talking over each other because we're on Skype again, and we have a bit of a delay. So our lips are moving, and then they stop, and we think the other person has stopped, but they haven't. So bear with us, please. And we were together earlier today. We've had kind of a day of recording because we have a really what I think is a very exciting episode. We have a bunch of. Well, I shouldn't say a bunch. We asked three very specific, very special to us people to share books that they're excited about that are either recently out or coming out because the fall is kind of a big time of year for book releases. And we thought it'd be fun for you to hear about some upcoming books from some people other than us. Exactly. And, you know, I know there are tons of lists out there that you can read about forthcoming books and books that different publications are listing. I like to hear about books from friends and sources that I trust. And not that I don't trust the New York Times book review. I totally do. But it's a different recommendation when you get it from a friend. So I'd like to know what people I know are excited about. So what we did was we talked to Alyssa Sweet, Ann Kingman, and our mystery man, John Valerie. We asked them to choose two to four to 500 books that they were interested (laughs) (laughs) that were coming out. And so we do have a nice selection of books. We thought it would be neat, too, to get some different types of books. So Alyssa talked about romance novels. John, who's our mystery man, didn't talk about mysteries, although he does recommend one. And then Anne, who is a Penguin Random House rep, talked about an interesting selection of books. And everybody, don't freak out by the number of books that we talked about in this episode. Reminder that everything will be written down in the show notes. You can use that for future reference, for current reference, whatever you need it for. It will all be there. Absolutely. Emily does a great job listing all the books and authors. So we're going to stop talking and we're going to let them start talking about the books that they're interested in. And then at the end of the episode, we're going to come back in ourselves and share with you a couple books that we're each excited about. We're so excited to have back with us today, Alyssa. Alyssa is the book events coordinator at i'm with bank square books in mystic connecticut and savoy bookshop and cafe in westerly rhode island and we're so excited to have you back listeners from a previous episode would remember Alyssa's voice from when we were at book expo this last year yeah that was fun and i think Alyssa is going to talk to us about romance novels Yes, definitely. So I have one book that I'm super excited about that's coming out in November, and I'm actually going to recommend two that are already out, but I feel like would be great to read in the fall. Should I just go jump right into it? Please please do. All right. So the one that I am so excited about, and I've read a few months ago and keep thinking about and have recommended to so many booksellers, um, I got an advanced reader copy that I've been passing around. Um, It's called Get a Life, Chloe Brown by Talia Hibbert. Um, she is a British author and the main character is really, really interesting because she has a chronic pain disorder. So she's this plus size heroine. She's black. She lives in England and she has fibromyalgia. 
but it's not the point of the book. So she kind of is this sassy, super adorable, really funny, smart girl. Um, She ends up kind of having this love-hate relationship with her super in her building. And it talks about her pain. There are these days where she's too tired to do stuff. And it kind of, it mentions it, but it's very matter of fact about it. And it's the first time I've really seen that written in a romance. Her size and her disability are never really a problem. It's never something that the the main character, the romance is not despite that. It's just kind of an incidental. And it's just one of those books where I left and I was like, oh, this is so great. It's not a woman who has to like get over her self-esteem issues. It's just a woman who has these issues in the background as she's falling in love. The dialogue is totally amazing. The sex and romance is awesome. And it's just like one of those books that I've I've used to convince people that yes, you actually like romance. You just don't know it yet. (laughs) (laughs) Which is one Um, of the things I love about you, Alyssa. You are like a proud romance reader. And I think that's so great. And I think we should encourage people to feel that way about their romance book reading. Well, I think romance is one of those funny genres that, first of all, has a problem, a bit of a problematic history. There was a very much a trope in the you know 70s and 80s of like rape in romance that was kind of accepted, and that's something that's really been phased out. But people still think of like the bodice rippers as the the mainstay, and romance is actually really now a very feminist empowered genre. It's mostly written by women for women readers. I mean, not always, but it's gotten very inclusive, both with like you see here disability, but also um, ethnic diversity and also. So like there's a lot of male, male, female, female romances out there. And it's just one of those ones where I think it's been historically something that people have looked down on because it's for women. And, mm-hmm. you know, for the longest time, great literature was by men for men. And if women happen to read it, fine. But that wasn't who was reviewing or setting the standards for so long. And I think there's still a little holdout of that in our culture. So I'm very much of the romance is awesome. You should try it. You should read it. And if you don't like one, there there are a million subgenres that you probably will like within that. And it's just, you know, it's going to end happy, which I think we could all use sometimes. Yeah, for <laughs> yeah, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> And I was going to just mention two books that have come out. Um, Both of them actually came out in May, but I just read them recently. So just a quick mention, this is one that everyone has been talking about this year in the book world. It's called Red, White, and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston. Do you guys know that book or have you heard of it? I actually DNF'd it. You did? I loved it. I know. So many of my friends recommended it and really loved it. I don't know if I just wasn't in the right headspace for it or if I just, because it's about the beginning of a relationship. Mm -hmm. And the angst of that for younger people, they're in their 20s, I believe, the two main characters. And I I think I'm just not up for that right now. I can totally see that because it's also the beginning of a character who doesn't know he's gay or Mm -hmm. bisexual and is figuring it out. So there's a lot of that kind of complicated feelings that some people just don't want to deal. Like, that's not necessarily what you want in a romance. You want people who already know what they want and who they are. And this is very much the beginning of that. So. And I, I mean, I love the, the setup of it. You know, the president of the United States is a woman. It's her son, who's one of the main characters. And then the other character, as Alyssa, you might talk about, is actually the prince mm-hmm. of England. <laughs> well, and I like this because, you know, the prince is basically, he's been gay. He's known he was gay his whole life, but he's trying to live up to the, the norms and the kind of all the expectations brought upon him by the royal family. So he's never been out. And he basically has just kind of resigned himself to living a life that's a lie because he wants to honor his family and their traditions and also bring heirs to the throne and all that stuff. And he meets this guy who's kind of this, like, he's sort of a, I guess, smart ass. <laughs> he's just kind of, you know, he's, he's sarcastic and funny and smart and he's the president's son and everything sort of changes for him. 
And I really liked watching that development. I also loved the president of America. She's amazing. It's basically as if a very smart, intelligent, fantastic, ethical woman had been elected after Obama is the premise. And so <laughs> dare to yeah, dream. Yeah. Yeah, there was a little bit of like alternate yeah, Eunice, that uh, been, universe. Wish yeah. <laughs> but I can see how it would not be for everybody. Um, I loved it, but it's definitely one that people are discussing. I feel like people have really strong feelings either way about it. Okay. So that's one. It yeah. sounds like it could be a fun book club read. It sounds like it gives you a lot to talk about. I agree. And it gets into politics too. The son, Alex, who is United States president's son, it really wants to go into politics too. And he's actually acting as an advisor for his mother and helping with her reelection campaign. So it is pretty savvy on the political end, I think. I mean, as not having been in politics, it felt like a cool little like glimpse into the world of the royal family and American politics. So I liked it. Do you know if the author has a political background at all? I meant to Google that. And I actually don't know. She's very young. I, but I think she also looks younger than she is. I found, followed her on Instagram. And I guess people are always saying that to her. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't know what her background is, but I'm excited to see what she's doing next. And I think this is being made into a movie too. Maybe for you, it'd be easier to watch as a movie and not have all the like angst that is happening in someone's head. <laughs> yeah, could be. And, you know, I just had a ton of things that I wanted to read. So it just probably wasn't the right time for me. I am a um, ruthless book abandoner. Sometimes it's even books I like, but I just feel like I'm I'm kind of like they've run their course. I just sort of let them go. And yeah, <laughs> I feel like it's part of uh, just being someone who reads a lot is you can't finish everything. So yeah. And then the last book I was going to recommend is Rebel by Beverly Jenkins. I don't know if you guys have heard of this one. This came out in May as well from Avon. And it's basically a romance set in Reconstruction era New Orleans. So a New York teacher um, who's African-American went down south to teach freed slaves how to read and encountered a lot of resistance, both from white supremacists and also from basically people who came from Africa but were never slaves and were, didn't want the freed slaves to be on their kind of same level. It was a very, it's just a really interesting glimpse into an era I knew nothing about. It actually felt like a history lesson that happened to be a romance. Like it, it just, I learned so incredibly much and it was such a smart book about um, this part of American history that I realized I wasn't really that familiar with. So oh, that sounds yeah. really good. That's really, really good. Um, we have a book club at Thanks for Books. We have a romance book club and that was our first book that we discussed. Great. So is that a new book club? Yes, we just started it in August. It's the first Monday of every month at Barleyhead Brewery in Mystic, which also serves wine if you're not a beer drinker, but they make amazing beer and it's a great space. One of their um, owners is actually a big romance reader and has kind of gotten me and helped got, get me into romance years ago. And so she and I kind of co-host that together. But. Very cool. I was going to ask you how you got into romance reading. Um, I had read a lot of those, like, so I, I grew up in kind of a, a conservative Christian family, and I read a lot of, I don't, I don't how to describe it, except in the 90s, there was this wave of, like, Christian teen romances that came out that were published by some Christian publishers. So there was this series that featured this girl named Christy, and it was her in high school and going through college and falling in love with this guy named Todd with his screaming silver blue eyes. That was always how they described him. <laughs> um, and I must have read that series, like, eight times, you know, and she gets into college, and it's just, it's so good. And I guess they've come out with books now that she's an adult and I, I'm kind of afraid to read them because I love this series so much. And then I went to college and I went to study English literature. And I think I kind of actually walked away from romance as something that could be taken as serious literature. I think I sort of adopted those mentalities. Um, and so when I started working at the bookstore, Sarah McLean is a really, really popular romance author whose books are amazing if you haven't read them. And she is from Rhode Island. So we started doing events with her and she has this, her website has just, I mean, the best, most diverse list of recommendations of romance. So I started reading her books and then I started reading 
all of her recommendations. One of her recommendations was like a gay hockey romance that I, that I delved deep into. This is a whole genre of romance that it, you wouldn't know about. And I just, it's now kind of like I'll read, I read a lot of different things, but I always kind of read a romance in between everything else. That's it's, great. That's a lovely idea. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's nice. I just think it's nice to have a book where the contract that the author has with the reader is it's going to have a happy ending no matter what happens in the middle. Yeah. yeah. It seems you just want that, especially if you read something like I was reading a lot of environmental nonfiction and I was like, I just need something that's not going to make yes. me sad about climate change. When I first moved to Guilford, I was determined to find love because <laughs> so, I had been single for so long. So I decided that I was going to welcome it into my life by just reading a bunch of romance novels, just so I would, like you said, feel happy and have those fun thoughts in my mind. Mm -hmm. So I became quite an avid romance novel reader, although I've haven't read one this year, I don't think. So. Yeah, it's funny when you, I think for you guys, you're always reading for, you know, just for fun, but also for the podcast. And for me, I do a lot of reading for the bookstore. And you kind of end up jumping around a lot and realizing you haven't read some kind, you know, I love magical realism, and I haven't read one of those in like a bazillion years. It's just kind of funny, you kind of just end up going in all these different paths for, yes. yeah. for what you read. And when um, you're surrounded by books, you're constantly distracted by the next, you know, golden carrot of a new book that's <laughs> arriving. So yeah. I was, I was describing it as like dating in New York City. Like I was on like, you know, the apps when I lived in New York before I met my husband. And there was always this feeling like, well, this guy is great, but like, I'm sure there's somebody better right there because <laughs> there's just so many people, you know? And so I feel like no one is ever committing on these apps because they're always kind of enjoying themselves and then waiting for the next best thing. And sometimes it happens with this embarrassment of riches of books too, where you're like, oh, I should be reading this because this looks really good. And you just jump around. <laughs> yeah. So Alyssa, did you have any upcoming events that you wanted to tell us about in the romance world? There is one that I'm crazy excited about. It's actually called KissCon New England. So it's a huge <laughs> romance event held at Bohegan Sun. Wow. This has been held all over the country. It's They have a weekend retreat, and this is a one-day thing. It's run by Avon, which is a really great romance publisher. And I've been begging them for a couple of years to bring it to New England. And so they finally did. It's going to be on October 26th at 2 p.m. And I can actually, for the romance fans out there, I can let you know which authors are going to be there because there's... a bunch and they're all like superstars so it's going to be um loretta chase sarah mclean alona andrews tessa dare misha sharma joanna shoop olivia Waite, and megan frampton and it's just 10 bucks and then that includes a mass market paperback from one of those authors so it's basically just the cost of buying a book and i'm like i think i'm fangirling harder than anyone else is gonna be to <laughs> <laughs> say are you expected to work at this event or can you just go and have fun i made sure we had enough staff that i can also just like get all my books signed also and freak out, <laughs> you know, so that i don't have to be uh, like manning a certain station for that reason because i feel like i'll be kind of useless <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish the listeners could see you right now because you look so happy <laughs> i'm super excited these are like all the people that I read and have been dying to meet in one room together. So it's fantastic. Yeah. Well, uh -huh. we'll definitely put that in the show notes, a link to that so people can sign up and, and get their ticket. I don't know. Did yeah, we say you. the date? I'm not sure um, if we said the date. Yeah. October 26th. And it starts at 2 p.m. And actually the, the website is really easy. It's just kisscon.eventbrite.com is where you can get tickets. But great. Oh, we'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. Great. The KissCon, that, that's yeah, nice. Really? Yeah, uh, that's 
that's like their trademark thing that they've done all over the place. And it's so cute. I love it. Cause it's kind of like, it's, I don't know. It just ha- And they have a lot of funny, like ours is, I think they call it like a one night stand or a night of romance. I can't what they say, but because it's the one night and then there's like a weekend of romance, they have all these cute little puns. Pretty great. great. Alyssa, we really appreciate you calling in with us. Absolutely. This is my pleasure. It's so much fun to talk to you guys. Well, we hope to have you on again soon. Oh, anytime. I'd love to. Right. I, th- I think you might become our resident romance, roving romance reporter. Um, I am on board. That sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be an excuse to read like twice as much romance as I do now. So. Right. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks. Thank you. We're here now with John Valerie, our mystery man, which many of you remember from past episodes. And John's here today to talk about some books that are coming out in the near future or that have come out already that he's excited about. Welcome back, John. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay, so I figured I would do the non-mystery man thing today because I heard a rumor that we might do like a full segment sometime this fall. So three out of my four recommendations are actually not mystery thriller at all, which I know is shocking. He's going rogue on us, everybody. That's right. I know. Emily said go rogue. I said, that'll be a nice surprise for Chris, won't it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you do have your Jessica Fletcher t-shirt on, so that's giving me some mystery comfort. Oh, you mean Al Pacino? (laughs) (laughs) Well, they have the same hairline. No, you know they do. And this is great because like when I was on my laptop, you couldn't see Jessica Fletcher at all. But now you can. And of course, my hearty bosom. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I will move forward with my recommendation. I do have one mystery, um, but three of them are completely outside of the genre. I picked a children's book a poetry book, and a nonfiction book. How crazy is that? Wow, fantastic. Totally crazy. My first selection is the children's picture book. It just came out uh, September 3rd from Tundra Books, and it's Sharon Lillis and Bram's Skinnamarink. Are you familiar with Sharon Lillis and Bram, either of you? No. Oh, okay. It must have been like a generational thing. Actually, Sharon and Bram have been around for 40 years. They're still performing. They're on their retirement tour. I think they've retired like two or three or four times now. It's like Cher. It just keeps going. (laughs) But Sharon Lois and Bram were really, really popular folk singers for kids in Canada. Uh, They started in 1978, and then they became popular about a decade later in America. Uh, And they had the Elephant Show, which premiered in Canada, and then it came over to Nickelodeon, probably mid to late 80s into the early 90s. And they were sort of like the Beatles for kids. I swear to God, they were like really, really popular when I was growing up. And the song that they're most known for is a folk song called Skinnamarink that Lois, who actually passed away in 2015, she brought that song to the group and they recorded it on their very first album in 1978. The album was called One Elephant, Du Elephant, because, you know, Canada, French. They never really realized it would take on a life of its own, but they've been performing that song for 40 years now, and they used it to close every single episode of The Elephant Show. And now it is a children's picture book. It has some extra lyrics that were written by Sharon's daughter, Randy Hampson, um, because apparently it wasn't long enough to be a book until they added some extra lyrics. Um, (laughs) But it's a really great, timely song about uh, love and inclusion and pride and community spirit and the illustrations are by i'm gonna butcher this name but kin Leng. 
I believe. Um, and they're fun because if you look at them, every time you look at the book, you find a little surprise. It's a very simple story because the lyrics are very, very simple, but it seems a very appropriate time for a book that carries through those themes. And even the, the side of the book is basically a rainbow. The title is done in rainbow colors. Um, so it's, again, reaching a new audience of children, but trying to teach sort of that um, idea of embracing people for who and what they are at a young age. And again, it's something that you can experience as a family, which is what they've been doing for uh, generations. And at this point, you know, they have the grandparents, the parents, the kids, because they've been around for so long that they see those multi-generations at their concerts. And now they've sort of taken that and embraced it uh, in book format. So that is my little children's book recommendation. It would be great for holidays, Christmas, Hanukkah, um, that type of thing. Cute book. That's Sharon Lewis and Bram's Skinnamarink. Now, John, can you sing a couple bars of that song for us? Do you know the song? No, I think I've forgotten. <laughs> I was going to say, it's too bad you didn't both know it because then we could like sing our way out of this later. Skinnamarinky dinky dink, skinnamarinky do. I love you. da 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 you don't know that song? I do you know that do you? song. Okay. I do. I'm going Bram for you. Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> all right. You know what? Here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to teach it to Chris, and then we're just all going to sing it at the end of the next Mystery Man segment. Huh? Of course. All right. Game. That'd be it's nice. We can end all that blood splatter on a happy note. Yes. <laughs> Dry murder and mayhem with skin of a rink. Um <laughs> But yes, lovely children's book. Look, I'm going to hold it up for you real quick. Oh, there it is. Oh, it's nice. cool. It's long. Yeah, long. Short and long. It is. <laughs> Short book, but very long, oddly <laughs> enough. I have to tell you, when this thing showed up, my poor mom had a fit because she like was traumatized by all this in my childhood, and it's just <laughs> never gone away. They keep coming back. So I just had it sitting on the table one day and she came and looked and, oh, no, 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 and ran away. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel about anything Barney. Oh. My, my kids were, you know, early 90s kids and it was yeah. all about Barney. I feel that way. It could have been worse. <laughs> anyway, I will move on. From so the second book I have to recommend to you is uh, The Truth About Magic Poems by Atticus. I'm not sure if you've heard of him, but he's a contemporary poet. I believe he got his start on Instagram. Uh, he has a lot of followers there. So he's sort of a romantic at heart, a world traveler, um, a wine aficionado. I think he actually makes his own wine now. Um, and what he does is he sort of writes very simple, accessible poems that are, com I guess you could say complex in their subtext, um, but they read really simple because I, I like, you know, contemporary poetry that's very easy to get into and understand. A lot of the lofty stuff is just over my head. But Atticus takes, you know, very deep things and shares them in a way that I think are really accessible. If I had to compare it to something, I would say, you know, maybe like a Carol King song where you take a very deep, complex emotion and you portray it in a very simple way. And then you think about it and you say, oh, there's in a few words, there's kind of a lot there. What he does is he writes these poems or these lines and then they have photographs uh, that go along with each poem. So it's sort of like a photography book with poetry or I guess vice versa. 
And this is actually, it is his third book. It came out September 10th from St. Martin's Griffin. Um, I ordered a signed copy and I haven't received one yet. So I haven't read it, but I read the first two and I really enjoyed those. So I'm assuming um, that this one is going to be equally wonderful. And it's actually, it's the last book of his, what they call the Love Her Wild trilogy. His first book was Love Her Wild. His second was The Dark Between Stars. Uh, and so this new one is the conclusion of those three books together and he really takes universal experiences but conveys them in a way that are personal to him but that you can still relate to even if you didn't necessarily experience that yourself um so like i said i believe he's kind of a romantic at heart um so he builds on the pains and the joys of romance and then he takes readers on a vibrant and transcendent journey of self-discovery and purpose or at least that's what the little blurb says and i found that to be true in the past and he himself says that I've spent a life chasing stories to tell when I'm old, um, which I think is kind of an interesting thing. But he's actually, like I said, he's pretty young right now and he's very popular with 20 somethings, 30 somethings, teenagers, big following on Instagram and other social media accounts. So I, I figured I've never, I don't think, recommended a book of poetry before, but that's probably a good place to start. And if you like that, he has two other books to go back to. That's great. Great. That's really neat. I look forward to checking him out. Yeah, me too. Awesome. My third choice is actually an add-on. I didn't anticipate uh, that I was going to recommend this book because it's actually old. But then I happened to be at the bookstore last night and there was a 25th anniversary edition that just came out in September. And I said, aha, that is my way to sneak this book in to the <laughs> podcast. Today. And I think it's a book a lot of people will be familiar with. It's Anne Lamont's Bird by Bird, uh, some instructions on writing in life, which, as I mentioned, came out 25 years ago. And Anchor Books just released a new edition on September 3rd. It doesn't have new content. It does have a new cover if people are interested in covers. I actually, I have to say, I like the new cover better than the old one. And I'm going to show it to you really, really quickly. That's kind of cool, right? It is yeah. a little different. Yeah. And as Chris knows, books on writing are my crack. I would rather read about writing than write or read about reading. <laughs> and this one was really, really great. I read it several years ago. It sort of stuck with me because it's a nice mixture of, you know, practical writing advice, but also sort of poignant memoir um, and personal anecdotes. And I always appreciate that mix. They call it a modern classic. It's reached over a million readers in the time that it's been out. And the title, Bird by Bird, is actually a reference to something that happened in Anne Lamott's childhood. Uh, she had a brother who was supposed to do a very intricate, I believe, it was like a, it was a report on birds and all kinds of birds. And he had three months, you know, to pull the report together. And of course, as we like to do, boys probably especially, maybe not, but we procrastinate. And so this three-month project turned into a night before emergency um, and they were on vacation and he was just surrounded by books and he told his dad he had no idea you know how to even begin undertaking something so huge and the dad who was a writer himself turned to him and said bird by bird buddy just take it bird by bird um, and that's sort of the philosophy that carries throughout the book uh, is that writing, you know, obviously can be a very challenging and intricate and complex process. But if you take it one day at a time, one line at a time, even one word at a time, eventually you will get to the end result. So I highly recommend that for people who are a little bit more interested uh, in learning about the craft of writing. It's really a nice, accessible book. It's a collection of essays. So it's a quick read and you can, you know, pick it up and put it down pretty much at any time and enjoy it at that speed. Well, yeah, I, I recommend that book too. And I cannot believe it's been 25 years since it came out. That's Isn't that crazy? 
Yeah. yeah. I'm one of those books to read it. I actually have Chris's copy yeah. on my desk. I need to, maybe I'll take it with me. I'm going on vacation soon. Maybe I'll take it. Yeah, it's a nice book. And it's one of those ones where, you know, if people, you know, you go to conferences or you listen to podcasts and people are always asking authors what books they would recommend on the craft of writing. And this is one that gets mentioned very, very often. It's very frequently recommended by an array of writers. It's great because not only have readers enjoyed it, but authors themselves have used it as a reference and it sort of withstood the test of time a lot. You know, a lot of these books come and go, but this was one of the first big books um, on the topic of craft and 25 years later, we're still talking about it. So probably one of the seminal books for writing instruction and life because it's advice that applies to life a lot of times too. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say fun fact, um, Anne Lamott just got married. There was a That's big right. in the New York Times about her wedding. Congratulations, <laughs> Anne Lamott. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because she has like she has an interesting character, an interesting personality. And it comes through in the book because, you know, sometimes it's cheerful, sometimes it's supportive, other times it's a little bit cranky. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, she would say that about herself too. Um, and lately she's been actually writing a lot of personal essays. She's had a couple collections out in the last few years. Um, whereas before she did a lot of novel work as well. But it's kind of interesting to, you know, read this book and then apply it to the essays um, that she's written or her fiction in the past. But there's sort of been a resurface, I feel, of her nonfiction in recent years. Yeah, very cool. All right. So my last recommendation, this is actually for the uh, mystery fans among us. And I didn't realize that this book was coming out until a couple of days ago. It was uh, it would have been Agatha Christie's birthday not long ago, probably within the last week or so. And she, there's a new collection of short stories coming out on October 3rd from HarperCollins. It's called The Last Seance, Tales of the Supernatural. So it's a collection of Agatha Christie's darker stories and a lot of stories that people don't necessarily know. And she herself embraced sort of the darker side. People sort of see her now as a traditional or a cozy mystery author, but she had a lot of dark works um, and she enjoyed exploring the supernatural. And this is the first time that all those darker works have been collected uh, in one volume in America. And it actually also includes a story that has never been printed in the United States before. Um, so I'm kind of excited about it because she herself identified 10 of the stories as her own favorites that were written either before or shortly after The Mysterious Affair at Styles, which was the book that sort of um, introduced Poirot and it sort of made her famous but she was writing before and after that and at that time she was a little bit more experimental with the themes um so this book is a collection of those works there are stories that feature uh Barrow and also miss marple but in addition to that it's standalone stories that will send a shiver up your spine maybe raise the hair on your arms so perfect since it's halloween season again and you know i love halloween season um <laughs> so i was very excited to see that that would be coming out. And that's, again, that's October 3rd from HarperCollins. Excellent. I'm definitely going to check that one out. Sounds good. I'm glad that you snuck a little mystery in there, John. I think people might have been sad if you hadn't. I know. I figured I had to. And it's Agatha Christie. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <from> her. <laughs> yes. You have to live up to your namesake after all. You'll always be our mystery man, even if you're talking about love poetry. There's a mystery for you. I'm <laughs> <laughs> all right well, john thank, thank you, you so much for coming on and talking with us it was great uh, of course thank you for having me we're so excited to have with us today ann kingman 
who is the co-host of Books on the Nightstand, which sadly is no longer with us. We're glad <laughs> Anne is still with us. And, and as we have said on many episodes, it is because of Books on the Nightstand that Chris and I met and Book Cougars was born. So we have a very special place in our hearts for Anne. And Anne is also, her day job is as a book rep for Penguin Random House. So she is taking time out of her busy life to talk all of our favorite things, which is books. Thank you, Anne, for being here with us. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's always such a treat. And I'm happy that Book Cougars has lived on and you guys are still doing it. And it's a happy anniversary, right? I mean, it's been... We're sneaking up on our third anniversary. Yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. doesn't seem like it. It's gone very quickly. <laughs> and Anne is going to talk with us about some books that are coming out in the fall, already out. We're not sure. She's here to surprise us as well. <laughs> Well, you know, it depends on how you define fall. Um, when we sell our books to the bookstore, we do it by seasons, and there's three seasons a year. So fall is the big one, and then spring and summer. And fall, sort of the on-sale dates, can vary depending on what we're selling. So we consider fall sort of August to January. It's loose. But um, there are a few books that are out that came out in August that I think are still worthy of, of revisiting. And I consider it fall because, you know, everybody's so distracted with back to school and stuff in August mm -hmm. that I think we get serious about our reading again once the kids go back to school and the weather starts to change a little bit. So even though these were out in August, we can call them fall. There's two titles. Do you want me to just go right into it or? Uh, yeah, just jump right. right on in. So this is the book that like I'm obsessed about now. Like if I were to run into you with the books in your hand and say, okay, this is the book that you have to buy. Um, it's called The Memory Police by Yoko Ogawa. And it is a dystopian novel that is set on a, an island off of Japan. It's a world, it, it, the reason it's dystopian is not really explained. But on this island, which is beautiful, um, things disappear. And by disappear, I mean, one day you'll go out of your house and something will be different, but you're not sure what it will be. And your neighbor will come out and say, there's no birds in the sky. And you realize that indeed there are no birds. There's not a single bird to be found. And once that happens, the memory police then go house to house, building to building, and they remove anything that had anything to do with birds. So they'll take away books, pictures, little figurines, anything that has anything to do with birds, they take them away. And over the course of the next week or two, people start to lose their memories of birds. So that after a period of time, it's like birds never, ever even existed. There was never such a thing, except for a few people who are immune to the memory loss. And if they are found out to still have those memories, they are at risk of being taken away by the memory police. And so our main character is a young woman who is a writer and her editor has the ability to retain his memories and he is in danger. And so she hides him in an attic in her home. And it is just this wonderful depiction of this world that has just enough mystery. It leaves a lot to the imagination, but enough detail that just you're fascinated and you want to sit there and like figure out, you, you don't know where it's going. Um, it was just yesterday announced that it's on the shortlist for the National Book Award for Translated Fiction. So I'm really excited about that. Um, she is the author of The Housekeeper and the Professor, which came out a few years ago. That was a huge, huge hit. Um, this is very different than that book. 
but I think it's it's just really wonderful. And it's got a fantastic jacket. If you see it in the bookstore, it'll jump right out at you. So you both have to read that book. Yes. <laughs> that, sounds <really> good. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I haven't heard of it at all. Yeah, it, it just came out like the end of August. I said, oh, no, August 6th, beginning of August. Um, but I think you'll you'll start to hear some buzz about it now that it's on the National Book Award shortlist yeah. for translation. So that is out. Um, the other book, speaking of dystopian, that just came out is The Testaments, the yeah. Margaret Atwood sequel to Handmaid's Tale. Have either of you read it? No. no. Not, well, The Handmaid's Tale, yes, but yes. not Testaments. So I, I won't say too much about it. I know there's been a lot of buzz about it. Um, I did just finish it this weekend. I didn't get it early. It was embargoed, so only a handful of people were able to read it before it came out. So as soon as it came, it came. I got it the night before the on-sale date, and I opened it and tried to stay up all night. I couldn't. Uh, <laughs> it is it is really good. It is different than The Handmaid's Tale. When I was talking about the testaments to people, they said that there were some people who hadn't been able to read The Handmaid's Tale or had been so disturbed by The Handmaid's Tale that they weren't interested in reading the testaments. I'm happy to say to those people that it is not that disturbing. I think it's a very different reading experience. Um, and it's told part of it is because it's told from three narrators. And so the point of view changes enough to, I think, keep it interesting. You don't know at the outset who the three narrators are, but it is um, not as brutal as The Handmaid's Tale, for sure. Um, I flew through it. I think I I really liked it. I don't think it's going to be a book that's necessarily read in classrooms in 30 years like The Handmaid's Tale, but I think it's well worth the read. And if you've read, watched the Hulu series, which I've watched all three seasons, um, what's really nice about this book is it doesn't in any way conflict with events in the story from TV. So, you know, you don't have a character who died on the television show, come back to life and be, you know, the main character of of this book. So in that way, they can really coexist. So I was happy about that. Yeah, that's interesting. Did Do you know if Margaret Atwood, has she watched the TV series at all? Do you know? I believe she has. Um, and I don't know if she did what I just described intentionally. I avoided all interviews with Margaret Atwood until I could finish the book. Mm -hmm. So I haven't actually delved too much into her process and, and what she's had to say about the book. Um, she's done a lot of interviews and things that are out there that now I have to go catch up on. But I was kind of in a Margaret Atwood media blackout until I could finish it because I was so worried against, about getting spoiled. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I've been avoiding everything. I've been seeing like booktuber videos. It's like, nope, can't watch yeah. that. No, yeah, well, I, I hope I didn't. I, I don't. I try not to give anything away, really. So, <laughs> do you Hopefully think that you people see. need that it would be a better read if you reread Handmaid's Tale first? Um, I think yes, it would be a better read. But I think if you remember just sort of the basic premise of Handmaid's Tale, I, I think it's fine. And if you read Handmaid's Tale 30 years ago, but watched even the first episode of the Hulu show, I think it's fine, too. It, there's not a lot of fine detail that calls back to the Handmaid's Tale. OK. You know, it's it's pretty broad in, in terms of recalling those events. So you, it's, I, I don't think it's a good standalone, though. Um, oh, interesting. If you, if you haven't read or if, if you have not been familiar with The Handmaid's Tale in any form, because there's also a really great Handmaid's Tale graphic novel out there, too, which would be a really good way if you wanted to read the Testaments, but don't want to necessarily read the two books back to back. The graphic novel would be another good way. Um, but I think you have to have had some exposure to The Handmaid's Tale to kind of get 
the the import of the testaments. Good to know. So, I mean, how many people have not read The Handmaid's Tale? You know, <laughs> <laughs> very few, I think. Um, so moving on to a different kind of dystopia, um, The Secrets We Kept by Laura Prescott, which came out oh, September oh. 3rd. And yeah. I know this was the book that I told you guys to get at Book Expo when you were there. Yes. yes. Um, I love this book and it is flying off the bookshelves. Thanks in large part to Reese Witherspoon, who's chosen this as her, you know, she, she adopts these books for her. I, I don't know if it's really a book club, but you know, Reese's book club. I don't know if she actually has like a platform where she discusses them. But anyway, um, I fell in love with this book immediately. The, the dystopia in, in this case is actually the Soviet Union. Um, <laughs> it is. Um, and, and the Soviet Union of the 1950s, 60s. Uh, it is set in, in the Soviet Union, told in um, alternating chapters between the Soviet Union and the U.S. And our character, as one of the narratives, is uh, Boris Pasternak and his mistress. Uh, Pasternak has just written Dr. Zhivago, and the Soviets have threatened him that if he publishes it, he will be put to death. And he and his mistress, and his wife sometimes, um, are trying to figure out what to do about this. The other storyline involves a typing pool at the CIA. Um, these are women who get up every morning and they put on their pantyhose and their skirts and their cardigans and they march off to work to type all the documents in the CIA. But by night, some of them are also double agents. And the book is actually based on what really happened with Dr. Zhivago, which is that the book was smuggled out to the Italians and then given to the Americans. And the Americans retranslated it into Russian and smuggled it back into Russia. And so some of the, the women in this typing pool are working on that project, trying to get it back into Russia for the Russian people to read, even though the Soviet government doesn't want them to. And so that was actually true. The women in this book are fictionalized, but many of them are based on, on real women and real stories. And it's kind of like a um, hidden figures, mad men kind of you know, story of unsung women heroes who have done great things for literature. Um, so really fascinating. And it doesn't, you don't have to have read Dr. Zhivago, um, though the cover is very reminiscent. If you do have Dr. Zhivago, the covers look great together, um, but you don't have to have read it. It's just a really great kind of female spy story. Cool. I'm really looking forward to that one. I did get the ARC at Book Expo. I haven't dove in yet, though. Yeah, it was really cool at Book Expo, too. They had people walking around in period costumes, <laughs> and then they gave away these little passports. That was really cool that we we each got one. And boy, that makes me want to move this farther up. It's been sitting on my desk since we got home from Book Expo, but now it's like, oh, I want to start it tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's um, it's selling really, really well, too, which I'm That's thrilled great. about because it's I think I think it's a book. It just has really wide appeal. Lots, lots of people who um, can come to it from from lots of different angles. Mm -hmm. um, really well done. So those are the only books that are out yet. The other books I hope it's okay to tease your listeners. They will not be out for a little while, but I swear nothing past like November, I don't think. So let's stay with fiction. So the big, big fiction that's coming November 5th is Aaron Morgenstern's The Starless Sea. This mm -hmm. is the first book that Aaron has written since The Night Circus, which was a huge phenomenon. 
Did either of you read Night Circus? No, no. I'm not. So Aaron has this way of building these magical worlds that it's it's so vivid. I mean, you you read her books and you can totally picture the scenes and you want to like decorate your house and have a party based on this theme. It's like it's so detailed and delicious and lush and and this book is just like the night circus was i think i might like this more than the night circus because at the center of the starless sea is the concept of storytelling and what does it mean to tell a story to to be a story and so there's lots of books the imagery of books and libraries carries through um, but she, she also approaches video games as a, a point of storytelling. So if, again, I think it sort of really kind of modernizes, um, even though some of the settings feel, and again, it's all magical, so there's not really a time involved, but some of it feels historical and some of it feels very contemporary. And with the video game aspect, it just makes it, I think, relevant to a lot of people. But at its heart, it's a, it's a fantasy and a love story. And it starts with a, a man, he's a graduate student at a university, and he has some memories, and he finds an old book, and he reads the first chapter of this book in the library, and it is portraying the incident that he remembers from when he was a little boy, and there was nobody around. And this book was ostensibly written before he was even born. And so that starts him on this journey to figure out what in the world is happening. And you just let go of reality. Uh, you have to. Um, and it just takes you into these really wonderful, magical places. And I would say that even people who think they don't like fantasy or don't read a lot of fantasy will just be totally entranced by this because it, it's magical just in, in on many levels. Um, I think it is going to be the book that everybody wants under their tree for Christmas or as a holiday gift or buys for themselves. Wow. You will be hearing a lot about it. It's funny. I need to come up with a system of, you know, books that are super, super hyped. I have a hard time. Sometimes I want to wait to read them because I don't want it, you know, have my expectations be too high. And I feel like the night circus was one of those. And then mm -hmm. it felt, I forgot about it, you know, so I have to come <laughs> up with a system where I get like a, you know, I should put alarms in my phone or something for six months from now, you know, because <laughs> <Right. laughs> there's just so many books. But I've had that situation with really good books where I feel like I've read them too soon. And I went into it with, you know what I mean, just thinking yeah. it's going to be the best thing ever. So yeah. I, I would like to read both of those. They both sound great. Yeah. And they're they're different. And yet, um, you know, Erin Morgenstern definitely has a style and mm. um, her fandom is huge. She was at Comic-Con this past season and the lines were massive and they, like they weren't giving away galleys or anything. It was just people who wanted to line up and meet her and um, she will be doing a tour. But, you know, it's one of those things where I think it also crosses from young adults up through um, she has a really wide readership and is just it, her books are really unique. And it's it's the kind of thing where if you're really tired of watching the news or, you know, reading depressing books or whatever, you can kind of just let yourself go. It's kind of like floating away on a on a boat reading this this magical world. And it is called The Starless Sea. So that sort of was an intentional image, but um, <laughs> she does it much better than I do. So. Well done, Anne. Well done. <laughs> 
Um, so let me see. Are there other no- novels here? No, the rest of the books. Oh, well, okay. There's there's two really weird books that I love. I don't know if your listeners. You know, I have this. I like bizarre. Um, I like things that are off kilter. Um, and there's two right now. And I think one of them you both will really like, especially you, Chris. I feel like you will really like this one. And the other one is just weird, but I was totally entranced by it. Um, so the one, it is out now, I forgot that I wanted to talk about it until just now, is called The Warlow Experiment by Alex Nathan. And the author was um, researching something else. And she she was reading um, old newspapers. And she came across this advertisement in an 18th century newspaper. It was actually a little article that referred to the advertisement. I'm sorry, I misspoke. Um, It said, some time ago, a Mr. Powis near Preston offered by public advertisement a reward of 50 pounds for life to any man who would undertake to live for seven years underground without seeing a human face and to let his toe and fingernails grow for the whole of his confinement together with his beard. It appears that an occupier offered himself, who is now in the fourth year of his probation, a laboring man who has a large family, all of whom are maintained by Mr. P. So this person was had been advertising for someone to live underground and not cut their <laughs> fingernails or toenails for seven years as an experiment. So the author was wondering, well, you know, what happened? But she was unable to, like, find any more information. So she decided to write a novel about it. Um, and this novel is weird and wonderful. Um, the main character is, so it's like 1797, I think, Britain. The main character is this amateur scientist. So this is kind of the age of exploration when, you know, people are really into astronomy and biology and botany and all this. Um, and he desperately wants to be published in like a scientific journal. So he dreams up this experiment. He's a, he's a wealthy landowner and he has a manor. And so he outfits his basement with oriental carpets and a pipe organ and you know it's very luxurious and he wants to know how somebody would do just like living alone and so he finds someone who works as a groundkeeper kind of on the estate to to take this position and he's not an educated man this person who agrees to this experiment but he's sucked in by the fact that this rich man is going to pay him 50 pounds a year for the rest of his life he only has to be here for seven years and his wife and his children will be taken care of while he's underground and so the book is what happens and this guy you know he he can't read his only he can't really read or write but his only requirement is he has to keep a journal so that the experiment has you know some data in it um, and so you see him kind of struggling to put down his thoughts. Um, but he, if he wants something, he just has to send a note up the dumbwaiter and they send down what he wants. He has the finest brandy. The man has never slept in a bed in his life. And now he's got this feather bed and oh. a library, even though he can't read. And he's really living in luxury for a little while. Um, so I won't say more. Obviously, it goes quite not according to plan. But um, <laughs> it, it wow. was just- so good. A little bit like I was reading a Victorian novel, too. Some of the language is kind of, it felt of that era, some of the dialogue and stuff. Um, and that is actually out now. It just came out okay. I've I've come across that one, and it's on my list, because it does sound totally yeah. up my alley with the whole <laughs> solitude, isolation factor, and the historical aspect. Yeah. 
stuff. So yeah, yeah that's yeah. I don't know. You you lost me on the he's not allowed to cut his nails and beard. Like the idea of that for seven years is so cr- oh. like how could you read when your nails get that long? Well, it, the, the reasoning behind it was because he they didn't want him to have any sharp objects in case he decided to put himself out of his misery. Oh, uh, I thought. See, that seemed like you know kind of circus freaky that part to me. I get yeah, it now. Okay, yeah, someone could yeah. still come down and cut his nails for him. <laughs> Come on. No, you can't have any human contact. For oh, right. That's the okay. experience. So he, oh, I imagine he probably chews them off. Oh, okay. Okay. I don't, I don't know if I can reach my toenails anymore, but <laughs> I'm not going to say anymore. Anyway, so that is slightly bizarre. This next one is even more bizarre. I feel this should be the like bizarre books with Anne podcast. Um, <laughs> Mary Toft or The Rabbit Queen, a novel by Dexter Palmer. And this comes out November 19th. This is also set in Victorian England, 1726. Um, it's in rural England, and the narrator is a young man who's 13 or 14, and he's the apprentice to the town doctor. And they get a knock on the door one day. Uh, a woman is going to give birth, and her husband has come to fetch the doctor. So they go off to deliver the baby, and instead of delivering a child, they deliver a dismembered rabbit. And the doctor is rightly concerned, but you know, there's not a lot known about the human body at this time of the history of the world by country doctors. So he kind of goes back to his office and, and just, you know, tries not to think about it. Uh, Three days later, another knock on the door. Okay. My wife is really ready to give birth. They go same woman, same instance rabbit parts. After this happens two or three times, the doctor is totally freaked out. He writes to all the well-known physicians in London to say, help me out. That part that I just told you is all true. This actually happened. From here, I'm sure there is some novelistic license, um, but the country's doctors come to the aid of this town doctor to try to figure out what's happening and the patient mary becomes kind of this sideshow people you know camp outside of her house waiting to see if she's going to give birth to another rabbit um part of the story takes the doctor and his apprentice to london which this young boy is completely bedazzled by it's the seedy part of london he sees things he's never even dreamed of things he never even knew existed accompanied by a young woman who he fancies so there's sort of that kind of coming of age story as well um it is completely compelling i won't say what happens um but uh, this story is out there so some people might be kind of familiar with the story of this woman giving giving birth to rabbits but again also a completely engaging read and dexter palmer is just brilliant his last book was more science fictiony this one is i would call it you know literary fiction but there's definitely this element of um speculation i guess you could call it um but just again a, a really interesting read if people have read emma donahue's the wonder i think that would be another sort of comparison if you like that you might like this as well okay interesting all right so a couple nonfiction books i want to tell you about um one we think is coming out october 15th <laughs> um it's supposed to come out october 15th it's called Life Undercover, Coming of Age in the CIA by Amaryllis Fox. Amaryllis Fox is this amazing woman. I'm going to try to keep this short, and I, I tend to go on about this. Um, when she was in college in England, she found out that her mentor, Daniel Pearl, had been beheaded by ISIS, and it affected her deeply. 
And from that time on, she decided that she wanted to try to figure out why terrorists do the things that they do. So she transferred to the Georgetown School of Foreign Service. And while she was there, she developed this algorithm to predict where in the world and when in the world a terrorist attack would occur. And it became this um, very predictive thing that the CIA found out about. And then they tried to recruit her to develop more projects like that. And she told them basically she didn't want to do that kind of work. She wanted to sit down across from terrorists to understand them. And so she was recruited into the most difficult program of the CIA, and she basically became a secret agent. And so she takes, in this book, she takes us with her inside the CIA training program, and we learn what it's like to be trained for the CIA and the different kinds of things that she had to do. Uh, one of the details that really flipped me out is that you know, they spent several months together, this sort of cla training class. Um, nobody was allowed to use their real name. So everybody had fake names and, you know, there were friendships and romantic relationships. And, and like you would imagine, you know, people spending months together and nobody really knew who the other people were. So that I thought that was interesting. Um, and then she takes us on a couple of missions with her and we see her actually go out into the field in the Middle East and be a spy. So the reason I said we think it's coming out October 15th, <laughs> I was gonna um, say. Is, uh, there have been a few news stories. So as I was reading this, I was thinking, how is she allowed to tell us this? Right. Well, there mm -hmm. have been a couple of news stories out there that there is some question about whether she got all the clearances she needed to get. So, I mean, the galleys have been out there. Lots of people have been reading this. Lots of booksellers have read it. Um, so I'm, I'm fairly confident it's still going to come out on October 15th. Um, it is a phenomenal read. And she is amazing. She's married to Bobby Kennedy III. And she has done a TED Talk that has millions of views. She's got, she has a lot of very strong beliefs about our foreign the U.S. foreign policy and how things are being mishandled. And so I think she's going to use this book to kind of get her views out there. But she's coming from a very educated place on it. And I think people will definitely pay attention. So you're sure to see her on, you know, PBS NewsHour, NPR, those kinds of places. Um, she's also young and beautiful and, you know, just sort of the kind of person who seems perfect. Um, she's a great writer. She's just got everything going for her. Um, and I, I, just, I love this book so much. And then, all right, last book. This is a book for everybody. So if you're doing like starting your holiday shopping list, I know it's a little bit early, but this is the one that like you can buy four or five copies and give to lots of different people. And it's coming October 15th. It's called Running with Sherman, The Donkey with the Heart of a Hero by Christopher Aww. McDougall. Now, I am not a sappy book reader. I do not like, you know, tearjerker, sweet animal stories. I was assigned this book to read. I did not want to read it. I went in <laughs> kicking and screaming, but I was told that I had to read this book. And after three chapters, I capitulated and I was like, okay, fine. It's good. Um, I fell in love with this book. So Christopher McDougall, some of your listeners might know, wrote a book called Born to Run. Yeah. It was a oh, huge yeah. deal several years ago, um, made everybody go out and buy those five finger running shoes, you know, yeah. which sort of started. Yeah. Yeah. So that book was about ultra marathoners, people who run, you know, a hundred mile races and whatnot. Um, after he published that book, McDougal and his family bought a farm in Amish country, Pennsylvania. 
and they wanted some animals on this farm, but you know, they're not full-time farmers. They just wanted, you know, a few animals. And a friend of theirs in town told them about this man who was an animal hoarder and that there was this donkey there who actually needed some attention. And so McDougal had to kind of barter with this guy to get this donkey that he didn't want to give him up. And finally he said, okay, we'll just borrow him for a year. My daughter really wants a donkey. Please just let us borrow him and we'll return him. So they get Sherman back to the farm. They get him healthy. And he's, you know, he, he was just in terrible, terrible physical shape. Um, so they get him physically healthy, but mentally he's kind of a zombie. He's just sort of staring straight ahead. He doesn't interact with the other animals. He just seems very unhappy. And another friend, because this whole village is just now invested in, you know, Sherman's wellness, says, well, Sherman needs a job. And McDougall remembers that when he was researching Born to Run, he went to the town of Leadville, Colorado, where they have this 100-mile road race, foot race. And he remembered hearing that when he was in Leadville, they also had a burrow race. <laughs> and these people would run for 15 or 16 miles with their donkeys kind of on a leash. And it was a huge deal. It started out kind of as a fun thing and then became like a big annual event. And so Christopher McDougall said, okay, Sherman's going to run the Leadville Borough Race. And that was his mission. And so, again, it takes a village. He needed, you need, you can't just train with your donkey. You need another donkey to help like lead the donkey. And then you need horses to like do that. And then you need people to help transport. And so it, it really, the whole village turned out. And as, as you're reading about Sherman and his training and all of this, you're learning, I mean, McDougal just spends so much time with little bits of knowledge of like, you understand why the Amish do some things that seem like they don't always make sense to us. And you learn about the role of animals in mental health and, and rehab and therapy and like all these little factoids. So you feel really smart while you're reading about this donkey training for a race. And it is just so good. I did not cry. It's not sappy, but I was rooting for Sherman the whole way through. I'm not giving any spoilers away. Nothing bad happens to Sherman. Um, I know some people are very sensitive about reading books with animals. If there's a chance that an animal is hurt, that does not happen. And it is just one of those books that I think you can give to so many people, people who love animals, obviously, people who are runners, people who are athletic, people who are interested in mental health, people who are interested in the Amish. Like it just kind of covers it. it and he's just a wonderful writer. I'm, I think Sherman might be Skyping into author events from what I hear, maybe. Oh. So, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm Fun. not 100% sure that's going to happen, but I've heard rumors that might. Um, and so this, this is that book. Like I just, I can think of like 10 people in my own family who would love this book. And as I was reading it, I was like, okay, this person has to read it. And this person has to read it. So that's, <laughs> that's sort of great. my big holiday, like, you know, buy 10 copies, wrap them up and, and you're good to go. Cool. Oh, that's, that's great. great. <laughs> oh, and thank you so much. It's so wonderful to hear your voice. Well, it's great to chat with you ladies and um, I hope that you have some really great reading ahead and I know I've given you more things to add to your list so let me know if you do get to any of them and what you think and I hope your listeners find something good too yes yeah. I I think they will <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks all right. so much Anne What do you have going on first, Emily? The first book I have to recommend is one of those that's been what they call embargoed, which means 
apparently nobody's gotten to read it yet. No advanced reader copies unless you're super, super, super special and important. And it's called The Book of Gutsy Women, Favorite Stories of Courage and Resilience. And this is coming out. It's a shared authorship with Hillary Clinton and Chelsea Clinton. It's a mother-daughter duo. And um, the blurb on it is that Hillary and her daughter Chelsea share the stories of gutsy women who have inspired them. Women with the courage to stand up to the status quo, ask hard questions, and get the job done. Sounds excellent. Yeah, and this comes out on October 1st, which is also happens to be the date that this episode is airing. So I'm really excited to get my hands on that. Well, the first book on my list is one that we've mentioned before in a past episode. Actually, it was our Book Expo episodes. It's Ninth House by Lee Bardugo. Do you remember that one? That's the one yeah. that has the snake on the front of it. This book is coming out October 8th from Flatiron, and... I am really excited about it. I'm kind of bummed I didn't get an advanced reader copy, but that's okay. I'll survive. <laughs> it's good for us to have some books <laughs> we can't wait to get our hands on. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but this is, it's a novel. And Lee Bardugo has written young adults novels before. And um, this is her adult debut novel. It focuses on a female character. Her name is Galaxy Alex Stern. And she had apparently a hippie mom. She grew up in Los Angeles, really kind of lived a, a tough, tough life, dead end, a lot of dead end jobs. You know, the mom's boyfriend apparently was like a drug dealer. But around the age of 20, she is actually the, the sole survivor of a really horrific multiple homicide that goes unsolved. And she's the only survivor of this event and it's kind of interesting because it sounds like she gets recruited by Yale to come mm. to New Haven on a full ride scholarship so here wow. she is you know still kind of recovering from this huge trauma and she's asked to investigate or monitor the activities of Yale's secret societies mm. it sounds like it's going to be a really cool fantasy mystery thriller type novel you know anybody who knows anything about Yale has heard stories of the secret societies and do they exist do they what do they do of course they exist because there's a big like thousand page book that was recently <laughs> written on them that I talked about in a, a past episode myself so it sounds really good it sounds um as it says here I'm, I'm looking at the description from Goodreads that, you know, these secret societies are kind of like the elite of the elite are the mm. members who get get into these societies. But it says, but their occult activities are more sinister and more extraordinary than any paranoid imagination might conceive. They tamper with forbidden magic. They raise the dead. And sometimes they prey on the living. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's I wonder me. if Bardugo has some sort of history with them or just had a fascination you know it'd be yeah it'd be fun to read about her a little bit and find out what her connection is to it yeah, all definitely so that's ninth house lee bardugo coming out october 8th my next book is called all this could be yours by jamie attenberg it comes out on october 22nd um, this is a classic 
family dysfunction novel, which I tend to really enjoy. <laughs> she says, yeah, it's so funny. She had this big smile on her face. Family dysfunction novel, smile. It's awesome. <laughs> well, sometimes it's nice to know yours isn't the only one. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and the, I'm actually reading it now. I got an advanced reader's copy, and I love Jamie Attenberg. She's quite well known, I think, for her book, The Middle Steens. Mm, She's, mm-hmm. She also has some other books out, but that's the one that I think kind of catapulted her career. And the premise of this is that the father, the patriarch of the family, is on his deathbed. And his daughter, Alex, and son, Gary, and the mother, Barbara, have are all kind of, you know, as you do, gathering around the bedside in the hospital of someone who's, I think he's had a stroke, if memory serves. And Alex, the main character, who's the daughter, although I shouldn't say the main character, it actually goes... Each chapter kind of goes to different characters, but this, the main character seems to be Alex, the daughter, is trying to explore what it was like to be his daughter. And he was a very tough man, and there were some secrets that Alex is trying to uncover and talk to her mother about, but her mother doesn't want to talk to her about it. And I'm really enjoying Jamie Attenberg's writing style She's very spare, very brief in her descriptions of people and places and things. If you don't follow her on Twitter yet, I highly recommend you start if you're out in the Twitter sphere because she's hilarious. Actually, the I, Roxanne Gay is the one that said everyone should be following Jamie Attenberg, and I do what Roxanne Gay tells me to do. So <laughs> I immediately started to follow her months ago and do not regret it. So it's a great book. It takes place in New Orleans, and um, I'm really enjoying it. Again, All This Could Be Yours by Jamie Attenberg, coming out on October 22nd. Excellent. Well, the next book on my list is from up north. It's coming from Canada. The title is Highway of Tears, a true story of racism, indifference, and the pursuit of justice for missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. And it's by Jessica McDermid. It's coming out, I think it's coming out in Canada, September 24th, but I believe the U.S. release date is November 12th. This is about a situation, uh, the, the Highway of Tears is Canada Highway 16. Starting in, I guess, 1969, up in Canada, northwest uh, Canada, on Highway 16, dozens of girls had gone missing. Um, it's a 450-mile stretch of road that they call the Highway of Tears. And most of the girls that had gone missing were indigenous and there wasn't a lot done to find these girls, to find out what happened to them for quite a long time. It's a rural section of British Columbia up there. So Jessica is a journalist who started exploring these disappearances. And I guess some of the girls' bodies were found. And she's looking at the effects on the families, on the communities that these disappearances and this predator had on um on the community, and it's really pointing out just the lack of interest and concern of women of color when bad things happen. Apparently, it wasn't until Prime Minister Trudeau came to office that he opened up an official inquiry into the case. Wow. And that's recent. You know, he hasn't been in his position all that long, and these 
disappearances started in 1969. So I think it's going to be one of those books that looks at a specific case, specific situation, and extrapolates from there to what's going on in Canada and the world at large. So again, that's Highway of Tears by Jessica McDermott, coming out September 24th in Canada and November 12th in the U.S. Great. That sounds like a heavy read, but an important one for sure. My next book is a cookbook, of (laughs) course. (laughs) It's called Pastry Love, A Baker's Journal of Favorite Recipes by Joanne Chang. And this releases on November 5th. She is the chef and owner of Boston's Flower Bakery. There's actually multiple locations of Flower Bakery. So if you get the chance to be in the Boston area, check it out. I never have, and I'm desperate to do that. She also has one that's called Flower Bakery and Cafe. And that has, I think, more, you know, sandwiches and salads and things like that. Anyway, Joanne Chang is someone who was, I want to say, in the financial industry and took a complete left turn and decided she wanted to become a pastry chef. And she has become a pastry chef and quite a renowned one. And she, there's, she has a couple other cookbooks out, actually more than a couple, but I know some of them are specific to flour bakery. But this one is one where she's baking recipes that really don't lend themselves to things that you can serve in a restaurant. So they might be desserts that are best served warm or, you know, warm with a dollop of whipped cream or whatever and, Mm -hmm. you know, need to be eaten a certain way right away. And so it's kind of her favorite recipes, but ones that she can't really serve at Flower Bakery. And then I think it has essays and writings of hers about her experience being a baker. This is one that I plan to sleep with once I own it. (laughs) And I'm really excited. Just the cover alone has me very enthusiastic. Again, Pastry Love, A Baker's Journal of Favorite Recipes by Joanne Chain. Right. So my last book, I think we have three each. Um, Yeah. This is a book. It's coming out in December. It's a mystery. It's called Thin Ice by Paige Shelton. I don't know if you can see that, Emily. Oh, yeah. Um, It's a cool cover. I like it. It's a scene from Alaska. So uh, the book is set in Alaska, and there's a small village with mountains in the background and snow coming down. Um, Now, I I haven't read anything by Paige Shelton. She has a couple other mystery series that our listeners might be familiar with. Uh, The Scottish Bookshop Mystery Series, the Country Cooking School Mystery Series, the Farmer's Market Mystery Series. Then there's a mini, some mini mysteries from the Red Hot Deadly Peppers. <laughs> <laughs> and then she has a series called Dangerous Type Mysteries. Type being T-Y-P-E. To Havetica and Back, Bookman Dead Style, and then Comic Sans Murder <laughs> for that series. I like those titles. So um, this is this book is coming out for Minotaur Books. This is set in Alaska, as I mentioned. the The main character is a woman. Beth Rivers is her name, and she's kind of on the run. Um, she's trying to escape from a, a fan's obsession with her, um, and and it was a bad situation that happened, and she almost died. So here she is up in Alaska, trying to get far, far away from things. And she starts apparently writing for like the local newspaper 
or as the back blurb says, what passes for a local newspaper. <laughs> and she starts in writing about a suspicious death and things take off from there. And there might be a connection to something in her past. We don't really know. Mm. But I do like mysteries set in Alaska. Like Dana Stabenow has a couple series. She's from Alaska and she sets her mysteries in Alaska. So I'm looking forward to this. It's again, Thin Ice by Paige Shelton coming out December 3rd. And do you know, is it a standalone then? It's not part Sounds of Sounds like of... it. Yeah, I okay. don't think it's a part of a new series. Um, but we'll see. I mean, who knows? Sometimes I think if a book does really well and if the author's up for it, they might might do a series. It's not... I don't see anything on the back here that says it's a new series. Got it. Um, and this is... You know, I'm not sure how much... It sounds like her other series are on the cozy side. I'm not sure how cozy this one is. So well, we'll let us out. know if you read it. I will. All right. Wow. So there we go. Another episode wrapping up. All right, everybody. Happy, Happy reading. Happy reading. Thanks for listening to The Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. To keep the bookish conversation going online, join our Goodreads group or connect with us on social media. If you'd like to contribute to our hunt for a good read, you can donate on Patreon. And if you have a minute to review us on whatever app you use to listen to us, we appreciate it. It can help other listeners find us. Thanks, everybody.